Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, Mosaic. I'm Elise, and I'm going to be reading from Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask for the grace to be open to you this morning. We want to hear you speak to us through the sermon through the people around us, through the snow falling. We bless Joel to teach with wisdom and understanding. We are here for you, O Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Elise. So as... uh, the Omicron wave in December started to spike. Like, we were hearing about what was going on in South Africa and in the UK, and and there was the sense that it's only a matter of time before it hits home here, because that's just the way that it's gone over the past two years, right? So if during that time period you were interested to see uh, just how is that going, Uh, What are the numbers looking like, say, in Montgomery County or in the state of Maryland? If you were to Google uh, Department of Health, State of Maryland, and you would have tried to look up our numbers, you would have likely been met with an error message. 
In fact, national epidemiology sites, they basically had zeroed out Maryland or put the equivalent of an electronic question mark over our state. And uh, as we know now, what happened is on December 4th, uh, a number of systems that were connected to the Department of Health here in Maryland got hacked. Whether that was uh, through a vulnerable server or whether it was through an employee responding to a phishing email, asking them for their credentials and uh, unfortunately giving them away, or uh, just through surfing shady websites. However it is that these perpetrators got into the system, hackers gained control of a lot of the Department of Health. And when they did, uh, they demanded that a ransom be paid. And while we didn't know what was going on, all we could see on our end is uh, a question mark or a blank or a zero out or an error message. This is what was happening behind the scenes. And so in this instance, what you have is a small number of perpetrators, maybe even one person, who gains access or control and begins to leverage that in a way that affects all sorts of people, very distant from that person, and we all feel the effects. In this instance, we had no idea how bad Omicron looked in our area. We had to wait to find out. So, uh, this entry point that allows hackers to come in and then people downstream to be affected, that isn't just exclusive to the world of technology. It's uh, not uh, isolated just there where one person's actions can have overflow for the rest of a community. If you are in a family, uh, then you likely have experienced the reality of one person in your family making a decision that the rest of your family uh, deals with. Uh, if you, uh, there's some sort of sporting event this afternoon, you may have heard about it and you may be watching, one person on a sporting team uh, can make a mistake and a penalty, and it's not uh, just individually applied to that individual, they represent their team. And so the whole team pays the consequences of it. So it's not just in technology, it's not just in families, it's not just in sports. We experience life in a way that others, representatives for us, can do things and make decisions that carry downstream impacts into our lives. And this is the truth that the Apostle Paul, a first century leader in the Christian church, is picking up when he writes to a church. He's saying there are theological impacts of representation. And in fact, the reality of death something that we all have been acquainted to if we had had the privilege to be uh, distant from before. Certainly in the last few years, we are more aware. Paul writes to the Romans to help them understand that this reality of death and our hope in the face of it as Christians plays its way out through a cosmic representation. And we're going to take that up this morning in two points. First, facing the reality of death. And then second, living in the hope of Christ. 
So uh, I know that we dropped into chapter 5 in this 16-chapter book, and so I'm just going to help catch you up very briefly. Paul is writing to help this young Christian church that's diverse. Uh, It's in a major global city in the first century world. And he's making the case that there is good news even in the midst of hardship in our lives. That the power of God for salvation is for everyone who believes. Because in This good news, God himself continues to work in our world. And so as he arrives to the fifth chapter, that good news often comes in the context of the bad news. And Paul has unpacked some of that bad news in chapters 1 and 2 and following. That is the reality of death. We all face death. And I hope that that's not scary. I'm not trying to scare you or be provocative. But it is the reality of our world. I think it's safe to assume that the average person, if they're being honest, knows that they won't live forever. My guess is that in the typical spots uh, where you live or function, whether it's in your school or in your neighborhood or workplace, that you don't come across people who don't talk about future planning because they say, I got plenty of time to figure that out. I'm going to live forever. Most people, while they may shy away from it, do business with the reality of death. And certainly for us as a community in the last few years, we can't shy away from it. Well, in verse 12, Paul is going to get at the Christian answer for why, humanly, we all face death. So if it's a bit taken for granted that if we're honest with ourselves, no one thinks they'll live forever, we are facing the reality of our death. And those of us who are here who are older often think about that and deal with that reality more, but we all know that it's there. Paul, in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, is going to lay out the case for why that is. Why is it that we all universally face death? And this is how he responds. It's a bit of a chiasm. It's a bit of a a logical unpacking that I'll walk you through just in verse 12. So he says, therefore, and this is likely referencing what he's been talking about in the opening of chapter 5, just as sin came into the world through one man. So he's saying, okay, just because sin, or he's saying that the reality is sin has come into the world and it's been introduced through Adam. And death through sin, so sin and death working together, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so the sin through one man, the introduction of death, all people die, all people face sin or live with the reality of sin. This is Paul's case, and I'll say up front, it is a working assumption of Paul. That the answer to why we face death universally is because of the reality of sin. 
So everything that follows in chapter 5 doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't buy that sin exists in the world. But for Christians and for Paul as he's trying to help the church understand just what we should do in the face of the reality of death, sin is inexorably connected to the reality of death. Sin and death go together. Or as one uh, British uh, theologian put it this way, N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Romans, says, Sin and death are personified here and continue as characters in Paul's letter through chapter 8. They are like alien powers giving access to God's world because of the action of Adam. And once in, they had come to stay. Staying, they had tried to seize royal power. Tom Wright is saying that sin and death so belong together. And the case that Paul is making is that once they got introduced into the world, once death became a universal human experience, so too sin with it. And, and that sin and death were trying to reign. They were trying to flex their power. And that continues even to today in the world in which we live. Their attempts to seize what's rightfully God's, uh, we feel it, that tension, even to today. When we face the reality of sin or death, we are dealing with the reality of what's been introduced in our world. Now, in our own individual lives, we may um, have sinned, we may wrestle with sin, but that's not exactly Paul's point here. Paul is saying part of facing sin and death as a human is the reality of living downstream from the decisions that were made long ago. And so when you go through day-to-day life and you're just angry and you're not sure whether it's because your own selfishness or because uh, all of the forces that are pressing in on you, but you're just struggling and you're like, why is it this way? Uh, Or if you find yourself uh, uh, living with a pattern of behavior that you so desperately don't want to do, and yet it just seems to have a bit of control over your life, and sometimes you just sit and reflect, why is it that I can't just rid myself of this pattern of behavior? Or if you have relationships, either with family or friends, and it just seems so difficult uh, to get along, to experience peace, to love and care for one another? Why is it so hard for people to be for one another and to act in good faith? For Paul, he's saying, just as we all universally face the reality of death, the answer to all of those questions is because we face the reality of sin. Now, here is the good news. That's, that's a tough first point opening, but this is the reality of what Paul is doing. He's saying we face this reality of sin and death because of these downstream effects of Adam, but there's hope for us. We have the hope, as he would put it in our English translations, how much more. We have the hope of how much more grace God gives to us through the work of Jesus. We have reason for hope because we live in the hope of Jesus Christ. 
So Paul sets up in verse 12 this reality of sin and death being linked together. And then there's even a bit of hyphen that's given to you. That's probably there. I won't go into the grammatical reasons in the Greek text for why it seems like he sidetracks to talk about the law for a little bit. If you want to tackle that in q and I'm glad to. Uh, it's a bit of a sidetrack that Paul goes on. But then he picks it back up, I think, in verse 18. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men or humanity, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Paul is setting up the reality of the Christian hope. So if sin and death go together, and it's something that we universally face because of the downstream effects of Adam and his decision-making and something that we compound with the decision-making in our own lives, man, that's a tough spot to just leave humanity. And Paul is writing to say there's good news, friends. It's that God didn't stop there. That his unfolding plan for redemption for his people continued on. That at great cost to himself, God would send his son. That Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, would become the pivot point away from sin and death toward righteousness and life, life eternal. That is why Jesus plays such a significant part in the Christian faith. That's why we don't get away from the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's because he is the center point of the Christian hope in the face of sin and death. This past week, you may have noticed there were a few days that uh, it was like middle of the week that started off uh, really dark and really cold. Like you don't want to get out of bed cold. Like uh, you just want layers upon layers. But the sun, as the day went on, as hours progressed, the sun rose. And what started as a cold, dreary day transitioned to quite beautiful days that could be enjoyed, where you could go for a walk, uh, where you could go exercise, where you could uh, go actually enjoy lunch outside at that point. You didn't have to have a thermometer in hand as you walked around. You could almost feel the transitioning happening, that in the face of the cold and dark, that as the sun rose and as the minutes and hours creeped by, so too the temperature changed. The warmth of the sun coming out to overcome the darkness and cold. Paul is declaring in verse 18 that our hope is a living hope because of the work of Jesus Christ. He is saying effectively that when Jesus was raised from the dead, overcoming death... It demonstrated the connection between his righteousness for us and his overcoming sin and death. And that that together was like the sunrise in the midst of sin and darkness. That it, the reign of sin and death came to an end in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Let me say that again. The reign of sin and death came to an end in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the Christian hope. And while you may not always have a spiritual thermometer or your fingers on the pulse of the complexities of evil in our world, what it looks like to live as a Christian here and now is to experience uh, still some aspects of the cold and darkness, but to see the sun rising on the horizon ahead and to begin to experience at different times and in different ways that temperature change in a way that fosters and wells up hope that God is working in our world and that sin and death will not and cannot reign forever. And so I think that means uh, maybe a, a, a few things, a few ways that that reality works out in our lives as Christians. So one aspect of this idea of sin and death through the representation of Adam and, and then the freedom, deliverance, salvation brought through the work of Jesus Christ. This idea of the hope of how much more. This idea that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That should create an individual and corporate empathy for us when we engage the world around us. That as Christians, when we think about the effects of sin— that it goes beyond just the individual decisions that someone makes, uh, but has corporate implications that weigh on them and shape it. And that we can be familiar enough with that to know that when it comes to, for example, the systemic effects of racism on people's lives, that we can think through not only what's happening at the individual level, but what's happening corporately, how history and decisions that have been made outside one individual's life may have impacts on them and, and, and may involve how life looks for them day in and day out outside of any responsibility of their own. The same is true with the reality of poverty. That when we think about someone who's impoverished, it's not as if everyone equally is given the same amount in life to start with. And so whether they do well with that or don't do well with that is solely down to their individual decisions. It's just not true, or at least the sociological and economic data would say that's not how it works. Well, if we as Christians know spiritually that's not how it works, and Paul's making that case here in Romans 5 theologically, then that should have an overflow effect on our empathy and compassion and the ways in which we view the difficult, sometimes intra or seemingly intractable problems of our world, that we can engage those things with compassion and empathy that Christians individually and corporately can lead the way. We can say, okay, how can we learn how these effects are coming to bear and how can we hope in Jesus and then turn that into action in our own neighbors' lives, in our own lives? The second application, I think, is a bit more individual for you. And that is, you may be here and you may kind of know about the reality of death, but you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to think about it. In fact, you've been overwhelmed by what's been going on. And there's a couple of different routes that you can go in response. You can go the route of numbing it. And so through substances or through patterns of behavior, you figure out that, let me just numb it. I don't want to think about that stuff. 
Or you can run and hide and say, I'm just not going to deal with it. The hope that we have as Christians gives us reason to resist the impulses to numb these realities or to run away from them, but to try to do business with them. Even if it may feel up and down, and even if at times we may feel like we make a dent and other times it makes no dent at all, the hope that we have that drives that is not outcomes. It's the reality of Jesus Christ's resurrection. That's what drives our engagement. That's why we can fight against the forces of sin and death. That's why we can fight as Christians against evil being motivated, not if we make everything right in the world, which probably isn't within our individual or corporate power. It'll be in God's timing. But we can trust that because of the evidence of Christ's resurrection, that God's timing will come true. That we can labor to an end that is guaranteed. Will the reign of sin and death come to an end? Paul, Jesus, God's word, and our Christian testimony today is that there will be an end to the reign of sin and death. That we can take hope in how much more God's love to us demonstrated through Jesus leads us forward. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the demonstration of God's reign over sin and death. That's the Christian hope, and that's how we move forward together. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us. That whether this morning we find ourselves uh, running or trying to numb over the pain of sin and death. God, I ask that you will help us, empower us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, not only a sober view of sin and death, but the hope that we have and can live with actively here and now through your work, Jesus, that you'll do that by the power of your spirit, we ask. Our Father in heaven, amen.